Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of the Messiah, page 139, Eschatology of the Invisible Church. And it's interesting, we talked about this today uh, in our in our topics um, before studying. The fact that we talk about the millennials and how a good portion of them are not even saved, uh, in fact, the majority of them, but the ones that are, who even claim to be Christians sometimes are in apostasy and stuff like that. Well, we, when we get down to what is the church and who is the church, and who gets raptured is becomes an extremely very important theological concept because not everybody that says they're a Christian is going to be raptured. Not everybody that says they're a Christian is a member of the body of Christ. We have to look at the entrance requirements for being a Christian in the body of Christ and what it means to be a true believer. And so there's a couple of, of uh, passages we want to deal with before we even discuss the rapture because you have to understand the body of Christ before you understand the rapture. And, and so I, we want to talk about this first. So a definition then of the body of Christ, you can see this in Colossians 1.8, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's what we're talking about, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So this body of Messiah is the one that's made up of the true believers, okay? The body of Messiah is within the church general, Okay, there's the uh, the ecclesiology of the church, but within the church is a remnant that's part of the body of Christ. The non-remnant part of the church is not in the body of Christ. Okay, you have to keep those guys separate. They claim to be Christians, like the Pope. He claims to be a Christian, but he's not part of the body of Christ because if he was, he'd be regenerate and he'd be talking a far different game. And because they believe in salvation by works. That's anathematized by Paul. So he's not part of the body of Christ. I know it's not politically correct, but that's scripture. I'm sorry. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 also talk about the composition of this body. And he goes, Wherefore, remember that once ye, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, that's the Jews, made by hands, that ye were at times separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye that once were far off, made near or nigh in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who uh, made both one and broke down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, talking about the Mosaic law, that he might create in himself of, and this is a key phrase, the two, one, the two, one new man, or one body, right? So making peace and might reconcile them both in one body unto God through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Okay, what was Paul talking about? Again, he was talking about that this body of Christ is made up of Jew and Gentile in there, and this middle wall of parti- uh, partition has been taken down. The middle wall of partition is the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law has now been rendered inoperative. 
because that middle wall partition has been taken down, it allows the Gentiles now to enter into the commonwealth of Israel, into their covenants, and enjoy the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, which includes the new covenant and the land covenant and the Davidic covenant. Now, as far as Gentiles are concerned, we participate in the, the, the aspect of the blessing part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is the new covenant. And we don't, we don't reap material blessings. Only Israel reaps material blessings. But we are engrafted in, according to Paul and Romans, we're grafted into the covenants. And so that, that graft that he talks about in Romans 9 through 11, that being grafted in is being grafted into the Abrahamic covenant and all the blessings that includes that for Gentiles. So what Paul is stating here is that this new body, this new vehicle, includes the remnant of Israel, believing Jews, and now believing Gentiles put into one body because the Mosaic law is now rendered inoperative. Okay, so that makes sense. So it's now made up of both Jew and Gentile. Okay, so we move to Acts. What is the reason for doing this to, to include the Gentiles into the body? Well, in Acts 15, it says this, Simeon, which is Peter, has rehearsed how first God visited the Gentiles, and here's the key phrase. This is why we're having so many Gentiles get saved. To take out of them a people for his name. That is the key reason the Gentiles are being included into the new covenant. Is that God is taking a remnant out of the Gentiles, just like he's taking a remnant out of the Israelites, the Jews. He's taking it and then forming the two remnants together to make up the body of Christ. Okay? And then according to Romans 11, this next passage, Paul really goes into flushing this out and saying that these, this calling out of the Gentiles will happen for a period of time until the, the, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now watch this. For I would not, brethren, have you ignorant of this mystery. And so now what he's getting to introduce to you, when he says mystery, that means something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. And there's actually, I think, seven mysteries that are revealed in the New Testament. Here's one of them. Lest you be wise in your own conceits, that a hardening in part has fallen on Israel. The hardening is a penalty for rejecting the Messiah. Okay? Until what? the fullness of the Gentiles become in or has come in. So the idea is this reaching out to the Gentiles through the church age will happen until the last Gentile of the church age is saved. And God only knows who that is. God only knows what that number is. We don't know that. But God knows that in his mind who that last Gentile will be. And once that last Gentile is saved it will spark the rapture of the church. Again, that doesn't make the rapture um, that you're, it's knowable or you know the timing of it because only God would know when the last Gentile is saved. That's going to be part of the church age. But God has that in his mind and he has that figure there. And when that happens, then the rapture. And then look what happens. And then so all Israel shall be saved, even as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer he shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And now he's talking about the new covenants being, being used right now for the Gentiles and the remnant Jews, but eventually, 
eventually, and I don't know what other people who don't believe in, in, in eschatology do with this passage, he is saying that eventually all of Israel shall be saved. Well, we know when that occurs. It occurs in the tribulation. After two-thirds are cut off and the one-third remains, that one-third becomes all of Israel, becomes a saved remnant of Israel. So there's a time gap in between these two, and I hope you see it, that the, gen- the saving of the Gentiles is occurring now until that fullness of the and then once that's done, Paul says he will start the program with Israel over again until all of Israel is saved. And that happens right before the, the second coming. So... I don't know what people do with that because it obviously shows that God's still going to work with the Jews. So this is why we say we're pro-Israel, that God still has a plan for the Jewish people because it says it right there. It's not something we're making up. It's a, That's what the scriptures teach. I don't know. Well, I do know what their excuse is, but they don't really don't have a good excuse of what, you know, if, if you're, you're a preterist, an all-millennialist, a post-millennialist, what you do with this passage about the Jews. I don't know. Because it's very plain and obvious to anybody that's reading this. All of Israel will be saved one day. So, we move to the next page. How do you get into the body of Christ? And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. That is a waterless baptism. This is what happens to you at salvation when you're regenerated. Not only does the Holy Spirit regenerate you, he baptizes you or immerses you in the body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, or whether all made to drink of one spirit. So the entrance requirement into the body of Christ is spirit baptism, which only occurs at salvation. It's not a second blessing like other people denominations teach or anything that comes later in your life because I know the Nazarenes will teach that and other holiness groups will teach that, the, that it comes later in life. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit baptizes a person when they're regenerated, and he seals them, by the way, at that point in time, and he's that earnest or down payment for them um, for their complete glorification. So if a person is not regenerated, like he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. If they are not regenerated and given new life, then they are not part of the body of Christ. This is why I state to you that the Pope is not part of the body of Christ. I do not believe the man has been regenerated because he believes in a works-based salvation. If a person believes in a works-based salvation, it means to me he's not saved. You can't be saved if you believe you can work your way to heaven. Not by works, so no one can boast. And then a Paul will then anathematize you, according to Galatians 1, if an angel or someone else comes to you with a different gospel, which is the Catholic gospel of believe in Jesus plus works, he says, let them be anathema. And oh, by the way, if you didn't get me the first time, he says, let them be anathema twice. To be ultimately clear, if anybody believes that they can work their way to heaven, if it's Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus the seven sacraments, Jesus plus being kosher or keeping the Sabbath, whatever it is, or circumcision like the Pharisees were teaching, you are anathematized by the Apostle Paul. He says you're condemned to hell. You're kicked out of the church. You're not part of the body of Christ. You can attend church and pretend you're a Christian, but you are not part of the body of Christ at all. That's strong language. 
And that's not me talking. That's the scriptures. This whole deal that you're hearing now of this wimpy jellyfish, let's all get along. We're all, if I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That is not biblical soteriology. You have to believe certain things about salvation and certain things about the work of Christ. And if you get his work messed up, you're not saved. If you get his person messed up, you're not saved. So you have to have the person and work of Christ correct in order to get entrance into the body of Christ. Okay, so it, you be, you'll, you'll be spiritually baptized. Uh, Acts 1 makes it clear that the spirit baptism was still future. Now, this is important. Moses was not spiritually baptized. Neither was Daniel. Neither was David. Neither was anyone in the Old Testament. Spirit baptism was future. Right? So look at Acts. For John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Emphasis added, future. It's coming, boys. This is very important for anybody that's from Reformed or Covenantal theology that tries to equate members of the church with people in Israel and say there's, says there's a continuity there. Spirit baptism started the church. And guess what day it happened? At Pentecost. Okay? So now let's... Uh, you can, Matthew 8, 16, 18, right underneath that, it says... Future tense, I will build my church, or ecclesia, I will build it. Future tense. And that was in Matthew 16. It hadn't occurred yet. Okay, fifth, if spirit bat baptism was future in Acts 1-5, the question is, when did it begin? Obviously, it's Pentecost, but look what Acts 11 says, and it verifies that it started in Acts 2. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, even as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, that ye shall be baptized in the Spirit. So there is a confirmation that at Pentecost in Acts 2 was when Spirit baptism started happening. Therefore, here's my question. When did the church start Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost? It did not start at the cross. It did not start even after the resurrection. It started at Pentecost 50 days later. Okay, Pentecost was 50 days later, right? So at Pentecost, the church was born. This is extremely important to understand the doctrine of the rapture. You have to understand the body of Christ and the church first before you understand the doctrine of the rapture. Being in the body of Christ now puts me in a position, <coughs> and you've seen this many times, of being in Christ. Have you read the New Testament and come across that term? That you're in Christ. And Paul and Peter, they'll always keep making that statement, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That is a position of the body of Christ. It's a corporate position that I'm placed into, and it comes from a Jewish mindset. If I was part of Israel, I was part of the corporate body of Israel. Now, here's the deal. I could be part of the corporate body of Israel and not be saved. But because I was Jewish and I practiced Mosaic law, outwardly, I still could be part of the commonwealth of Israel and function. Same thing is true in the church. The church is a corporate body, but there's a body of Christ that represents the remnant inside. 
but I could still be in the, in the church and not be a believer and pretend to be. And so Christ expected that, and he told us that would happen. He goes, the wheat and the tares would grow up together. Okay, so since then, the body of Christ has been building, represented by Jew and Gentile alike, and therefore, the church then is composed... Uh, so let me back up. Not the church. The body of Christ is composed of all true believers. Hence, when the rapture occurs... Only the body of Christ is removed. So guess who's left over and left behind? The members of the church in general who were not part of the body of Christ, who were not regenerate, who claimed to be a Christian and were not. They will be left behind. And they have been warned. They have been warned. Uh, Thyatira, Sardis have all been warned, and then the other false churches have been warned. Laodicea has been warned that if you do this, if you don't accept me, he told even Thyatira, I will put you on a bed of suffering. He told Philadelphia, I will remove you from that time of suffering. I will take you out of that area, or that time period. Okay, does that make sense so far? That Okay, now let's move to the rapture then. And we'll, we'll do one passage or a couple of them and then we'll end. Let's look at John 14 and we'll end on this passage. This is the, one of the, the first rapture passages and he introduced this into the disciples' life. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. It should be translated dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For Here's the key. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I come again and will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, on, on this one, it doesn't detail the rapture event, but it does contain the promise of that. I'm going to come back for you. Okay? Um, this is very different than the second coming. The second coming is he comes to earth, but he's coming back for them in another, in this circumstance very differently. Um, and then you look at the second passages in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 right here, which describes the program of the rapture. We would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning the, the, them that, have fall, that fall asleep, ye, uh, that ye sorrow not even as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then <clears throat> them also that are fallen asleep in Jesus will bring uh, with him. That's a very uh, interesting key phrase, that those who have died, he's going to bring with them at the rapture. What for? Why is he bringing dead saints with him, the souls? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall no wise precede them that are fallen asleep. That's why. What's he going to do? Well, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's why. That's why he's bringing the dead saints with him. It's because he's going, he's going to resurrect their bodies that are in the ground. So the dead in Christ, their bodies will res resurrect first. They proceed first. Then we who are, there, are alive, that are left or remain, shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord where? It doesn't say Jerusalem and doesn't say the Mount of Olives, does it? 
When people preach this passage and they preach it as a second coming, they are making a fatal error. Because it's telling you where this is located. It's in heaven, the atmospheric heaven, Paul is saying, and we're meeting the Lord in the air. If this was the second coming, Revelation 19 and Zechariah 14 say we're coming back down to earth with him. That seems, and I think we're on good solid ground, that that's a different event. This is a completely different event. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. So even with that, in a cursory look, and we'll look at it a little bit more in depth next time on the program of it, it is obviously a different event. And you couple this with John 14, I'm coming to get you. Whereas you look at the second coming, and he's coming, and, and there's a lot of differences. The coming is coming back to, do, to go to war, and he comes with the saints with him, riding on horses from heaven. And it says in Revelation 19, the bride has made herself ready. Well, if this is the case in rapture, the bride has not been made ready. Because you know what ha hasn't happened? The judgment seat of Christ has not happened. So in order for us to be ready, the bride to make herself ready, we have to go through judgment, Revelation uh, 5 and 6, or 4, sorry, 4, 4 and 5. That's the judgment of the, the Bema Seat of Christ. So we have to be judged first before the bride has made herself ready, and then we come back with Christ to the earth at the second coming. All right, uh, we'll go through more of the program of the, re of the rapture next week in more detail. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.